Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, today we're continuing in our series with the Bible. I know we've been in this series for a while, but I think it's worth our time to continue looking at reading the scripture and the way that we read the scripture. We're sort of jumping back in this one to a bit of method with the Bible. And um, it's one I think that we do intuitively as Christians, something that I think we pick up on as Christians. But what I want to talk about are some of the ways that we do it and the things that we pay attention to in this method um, or this strategy for reading the Bible that should help us along the way. So we're talking about typology, and we're going to talk specifically about typology and Jesus in reading the scripture and what's going on with the scripture, uh, because this is a key feature of the way we read and study and analyze the bits and pieces of the Bible that um, are especially connected across the Testaments. Okay, And so we talked a bit about this, I think, when we did some stuff with imagery and whatever earlier on in the series. Uh, what I want to do now is focus in on characters and how types and characters work. And it works a little bit like the narrative feature we're used to or the literary device we're used to that we call foreshadowing. Um, foreshadowing is a hint at something that's going to show up in a full version later on in the progress of a story. And so we see a character or an event, somebody says something and then it reappears later on in the movement of the storyline. And the Bible deploys this feature as well. However, uh, deployment of foreshadowing in the Bible often take the shape of what we call typology. And typology is this uh, deployment of a character primarily, maybe even an event or a set of images around uh, something that present the readers with a category, a set of characteristics or a kind of typical image uh, that will be recycled later in the macro narrative of the Bible. It may show up later in the same book. It may show up later across a handful of books. It may show up later in an entirely different testament. And so we need time to sit with the way the types work. Uh, for most of the typological material in the Bible, we focus on characters. And we look at the way a character uh, fills out a set of characteristics or the patterns of that character's story in the scripture or a role that they play. Uh, we can take Moses, for example, because he's a good example. He covers a, a great deal of material in our First Testament texts, and he hits a lot of these markers, role, certain characteristics or features of his story, and uh, characteristics of his person and things that he has in particular. So uh, Moses promises that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. This, this is Deuteronomy 18.15. And so we have this promise of one like Moses. And right there, we're introduced to the concept of typology. Uh, whatever it is we're looking for in the Messiah, we're looking for someone like Moses. And so Moses then becomes a pattern for a future prophet whom God will send to his people. He becomes a, a type, sort of a mold that we're looking for a future individual to fill out. Okay, 
uh, as we look to Moses as this pattern, this mold, this, this type, to use the technical term, we can identify sets of features or characteristics in his story or sets of features or characteristics in his person, in his character, that we're looking for in the one who will fulfill, fulfill this promise. So Moses, at the power and the command of God, works miracles. He gives the law. He's the primary mediator for God and the people. He serves as a prophet and even a king-like figure. He, he's not the king. The king is Yahweh, but he's the political leader and organizer of this group as the prophet. And he speaks with God. And, and if we're serious about the descriptions we get in the, in the law, he, he speaks with God mouth to mouth. Face to face, in other translations, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. That's Numbers 12, verse 8. So typological readings of the Bible focus on characters more often than anything else. Characters like Moses, David, Elijah, Melchizedek. And those characters provide us with a set of categories, features, that we can use to look at Jesus. And this is the prominent use of typological studies. We're seeking the unity of the narrative that leads us to Jesus and the human partners God's chosen along the way. And so by looking at Moses and the typological features and layout that exists with Moses, we we can then go from there to looking at Jesus and hopefully gain a better understanding of what's going on with both, but primarily with Jesus. So typological readings look at the type. Um, the Moses or the David or, or somebody like that, the character who provides us with the categories or the narrative features or characteristics or all of the above, perhaps, to create a kind of framework by which we can then understand someone or something to come along later. As I mentioned, most often we look to the type to give us a better understanding of Jesus and his fulfillment of God's promises or partnerships or both. Jesus in this setup is then labeled as the anti-type. He's not against the type, but he's the sort of real or the full manifestation. He is the ultimate reality to which the type points. So he's not the type. So the fulfillment and the fullest expression of all that was good and right in the type we find in Jesus, and we call that technically the anti-type. This kind of reading allows us to see connections across testaments, unite biblical narratives and sections, and highlight the significance of Jesus Christ. But it does so on the basis of categories that have already been raised. And so when we do this typological kind of reading, we, we need to be sure that we begin in the right places and read from type to anti-type. Now, in all honesty, because we are predominantly saturated with New Testament texts as Christians, we may recognize things that are present in the anti-type first and say, hey, that looks like, and then go back. When we do that, what we need to do is go back and sort of restart the process with the type and then come back to Jesus to understand the anti-type in terms of fulfilling what's present in the type. Earlier in this series, we discussed reading the Bible according to the layout of sort of acts in the play. Again, I'm stealing from N.T. Wright here. And typological readings, like I just walked us through, are going to work best when we start with the type. We understand the categories that are present within the presentation of the character, event, or image. And then we move to the anti-type for the fullest, 
fulfillment and 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 teasing out of all of the pieces that belong to the type. Interpretively, what we want to do is understand the unity and fulfillment of type to antitype on the terms set out by God and his choice of people, events, imagery, and the faithful witness and be faithful to the witness of the Holy Spirit in the text of Scripture. And so we're trying to understand the witness that Scripture has brought in the type and anti-type fulfillment, and we want to remain faithful to that witness from type to anti-type. In other words, we want to see the logic and the significance of the type in proper context in order to understand the presence, the fulfillment, and the nuances of the anti-type. Maybe we should look at one briefly as a way to illustrate the point. I've already brought up Moses, and so I think let's use Moses this week, and we'll just do sort of a basic sketch. So Moses, Moses, sorry, Moses is born under threat uh, from a king who's seeking to take the lives of Hebrew baby boys. This is Exodus 1. He escapes that threat of certain death by going into Egypt. There's rather deep irony in the Moses story. Remember, his mother has placed him in a basket. She put him on the Nile. And he makes his way along the Nile River into a space where he can be drawn from the water the meaning of Moses' name, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he actually escapes Pharaoh's persecution by ending up in Pharaoh's house. It's a movement deeper into Egypt, not out of it, that actually saves him. So there's a serious irony in that. But then God calls Moses to lead his people out of their slavery and captivity, Exodus 3 and 4. Moses performs a series of miracles that culminate in the Passover with the blood of a lamb. Um, And that's Exodus 7 through 12. He leads the people into the wilderness. He leads them across the Red Sea through the wilderness for 40 years, providing them with law from a mountain, sacrifices to restore broken relationship with the Lord. This is all Exodus through Numbers material. Jesus appears to us in the Gospels under threat from Herod, Matthew 2. He flees to Egypt to escape the wrath of the king, also Matthew 2. Journeys into the wilderness for 40 days and spends time on mountains with the Father in close communion with God and in glory. Matthew 5 and 17, John chapter 6. He crosses the Jordan at his baptism, walks on water, feeds people following him in deserted places. Matthew 3, John 6. Jesus performs miracles. I mean, pick a passage from the Gospels and you're going to likely find this to be the case. He then leads captives to freedom while being the Lamb of God, John 1, John 8, John 19, just to highlight a small sample here. What's different with Jesus Christ is his lack of sin. He doesn't fail like Moses. He is, in some sense, the fullest expression of all the good pieces that we see in Moses. And his finality in being everything to which Moses, the law, and the prophets, and the scriptures have pointed us is quite poignant in the Gospels. This is a super basic and generic sketch of the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. And there's a whole host of other ones that we can go ahead and start tossing into the mix here in order to really flesh this out. But what we've got is Moses with sets of features that belong to his story 
and his calling and his ministry. And then we've got Jesus with components of his story and his life and his ministry that look remarkably similar to that of Moses. And we think about the passage in Deuteronomy 18:15, where the promise is for a prophet like Moses to arise and that the people would or should listen to him. In the united story of the Bible, Jesus Christ is the antitype here. He's the fullness of all that has come before and the perfection of God's partnership with humanity. And as such, he's going to free the captives and deliver and bring freedom and give us law, offer sacrifice, and in an ironic twist in the Gospels, offer the sacrifice that is himself. Jesus serves as the antitype to the type that is Moses. We'll talk more about this typological understanding as we go in the next week, maybe two, and see just how else these things get sort of fleshed out in the gospel texts. Until next time on the podcast, have a good day, everybody.